welcome back to the Shona Project podcast. In this episode, Tammy and I are going to be discussing anxiety and we're going to have expert opinions on teenage brains and anxiety and how it works and share our own experiences, Tammy. I have been um, a high-functioning, anxious person for many, many years. And I remember the first time I was brought to therapy for my anxiety was I was only seven. No way. Yeah. So I have a very specific set of ans- or set of skills, <laughs> anxiety, <laughs> that it's very health-related, mm-hmm. but it does catastrophize. And before it was just about myself, selfishly, it's now transferred to me worrying about my daughter. So I've been diagnosed with that and I do work hard at it, but it is something that's with us daily. And it's as an adult hard to cope with. So as a teenager, yeah. it's even worse. And I'm sure you try really hard not to let those anxieties rub off on, yeah. on her yeah. as well. Like I'm coming at it from the opposite end because I have three kids, two of whom are grown now. The oldest two have really bad anxiety, which impacted them both in really serious different ways. My oldest, actually, who's 25, made his own podcast about anxiety. Like we had to get the French embassy to get him on a plane to bring him home from college because he was that bad. And then I have a daughter who was bullied, you know, as you know, we will talk about separately for six years. And I remember just her lying on the bathroom floor and saying that she just, you know, couldn't deal with it. So. You know, as a parent, it's so hard to watch your kids go through that. And it's so hard. All you want to do is fix it. Mm -hmm. And all you want to do is, you know, solve their problems for them when you can't do it. And also, like, we don't actually understand it. Yes, exactly. Um, And that's one of the biggest challenges for me. And like even things like panic attacks, like how to help your daughter when you see her having a panic attack. That's really scary to see somebody you love go through those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what we'd want to do today, which we always do in our podcast, is try and like give parents solutions and practical tools that we can use Mm -hmm. and that's why like I'm a little bit obsessed with Louise Carroll. I met her for Shine Festival about a year ago and I just love the way she broke things down in such a like practical like she just makes so much sense but she also has so much compassion for people yeah. So this could be a really, really long episode. I think your biggest challenge is going to be trying to keep us <laughs> no, on track. But I for think this. it's something to be aware of and to stay here as well is that when we talk about anxiety, it is very much a spectrum and you do have people that have, mm. you know, debilitated by it. And then yeah. you have people that are living with it, but would like to correct it. And there are, you know, various different resources and methods to help different problems. But what do I know? Louise Carroll knows a lot more than I do. And she's joining us now, a co-founder and director of Prison Therapy Online for our Shona Project podcast. Louise, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was a lovely intro. Now, anxiety and the teenage brain. And is it safe to say that all children and teenagers at some stage will face moments of being anxious? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what's difficult about anxiety, what I find even difficult to articulate is the fact that it is a much bigger thing Mm -hmm. that we have in our hands. It's it's I call it the war on emotion at the moment. Right. And and I I I feel quite strongly about that myself, that there does appear to be a war on emotion. And it's in the sense that mental health has become so proliferated in the best possible way. Right, that we can talk about mental health now, that we have so much language to use, that we can communicate with each other, that we understand each other's inner worlds and emotional worlds in a way that we never did before or even were permitted to kind of talk about publicly. Mm-hmm. So we've made massive leaps and bounds in moving towards being able to speak about emotions and things like I feel anxious, I feel sad. That's amazing. But where it becomes a little bit, where, where there's a fork in the road is that 
we resist the negative emotions. But it's a dissonant message because we talk about it being okay not to be okay, right? That's that yeah. phrase that actually I'm not a big fan of, right? Uh, for a variety of different reasons. But it's, I think it's because we say it's okay not to be okay, but then it's, there's a fear and an anxiety in society around negative emotions, right? And, and it's almost like we need to eliminate them as fast as possible. And as a result, we equate mental health with feeling good. And that's not what it is at all. Mental health is an appropriate emotional response to whatever set of circumstances you're dealing with. Right. And that might be a negative emotion. Okay. So, Louise, just looking at it from my point of view and the work that I do, you know, I go into schools all the time, every week, and I've met, you know, over 30,000 and so many of these girls are saying that they're anxious to the extent that it's an impact in their ability to like have a normal, healthy life and just to get through normal days. I'm also constantly getting messages from parents who are like, my child is anxious, my daughter is anxious. And you can see their anxiety and their fear because of that is an impact in their normal and healthy days. So am I imagining it or is there like an epidemic of anxiety amongst that age group? You're not imagining it. Okay. There was a serious upturn in about 2010. It was relatively steady, it was a slight fluctuation. It was up in the 80s. It got better again in the 90s. 2010, huge uptick. And mm. that would have been around the time that social media yeah. took off. Okay, yeah. so not imagining that not either. Imagining okay, And it continued. Mm-hmm. And it escalated through COVID and we're still there. We're still dealing with the high levels. So there's no imagination around this. This is, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's happening globally. You know, so you can't pinpoint certain things in different countries and say, well... They have higher rates of anxiety because maybe there's more school shootings in America, for example. But we see the same levels of anxiety in other countries and in Europe and Australia Mm -hmm. where there's no such thing. Right. So so it's not that. Right. But the only thing that is different globally is social media. That's the only thing that has, you know, by, I think, 20, at least 16 anyway, 80 percent of young people had mobile phones and access to social media. Yeah. And younger and younger and younger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and younger and younger and younger. And when you bear in mind what happens to the brain, right? <laughs> when uh, puberty puberty kind of kicks in before we see it, actually, you know, kicks in around age ten or eleven, mm. um, when you know they might start becoming a little bit more private, you know, less likely to want to be going everywhere with you, and then it kicks in, right? And then you get thirteen, fourteen, but the brain is remodeling itself at this period of time. You know, and and it's remodeling itself from the primitive up, just how we developed. We start with the primitive functioning, mm-hmm. the basic functioning, then up to the higher order thinking and the ability to monitor right? mm-hmm. and, and inhibit actions and like the CEO of your brain. That's the last to develop. So when your brain is remodeling, when you're moving into teenagehood, it's the same. So it starts with the emotion center. So that gets the upgrade first. Mm-hmm. before your ability to perceive, to rationalise, to monitor. That comes later. Right. So imagine how distressing that is in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Right? That With a developing brain, yeah. 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 That explosion of emotion, that explosion of capacity to feel. In, we can't ignore the fact that it's quite a disordered society. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's, it's unhinged in many ways. Right, and, and often, and I always remember this, I used to work with Pat McGarry. He was head of uh, research organisation Origin in Australia 
And he, in 2010, he used to work with Headstrong, which is now Jigsaw. And he said, that our young people, and that was back then, it's 2010, I think, our young people are the modern day canaries in the coal mine. Because they are the first group that are going to suffer when society takes a nosedive. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're still seeing. Yeah, it is quite scary. And like every time we start a podcast, we get the actual facts and myself and Alison yeah. look at each other and go like, oh my oh God, God, where do we go from here? So uh, as parents, which both of us are, can you explain to me in like a typical 13, 14, 15, 16 year old daughter who has anxiety, what is actually happening there? Your daughter is unique. You know, just like any other young person who's going through or experiencing some issue, right? Mm-hmm. One thing that is common amongst young people who are experiencing anxiety is that there's dysregulation. Okay. So that's the mo- that's that's the common thread. Right? Yeah. There's always dysregulation. Why there's dysregulation can have varying degrees of reasons. So this makes total sense to me. So what basically what you're saying is that there's a there's a reason they have their own environment, their own experiences, but that dysregulates them. So in order to understand the dysregulation, we have to get to what's actually happening yes. with them. Gotcha. Yes. OK, that makes sense. That's it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem where it gets even more nebulous, right, is that anxiety can be based on a real or imagined incident or reality. Mm-hmm. It could be something that nearly happened in the past. That stays in the body, it stays in the memory. It could be something that you've imagined in your mind that you've had bad dreams about. Mm -hmm. But both, it could be something that was real, something that actually happened, an actual trauma Mm -hmm. that comes back. But all three of those incidences have the same dysregulating effect on the body. Or something that happened but is amplified in your head. Okay, Exactly, yeah. Depending on the meaning that you attribute to it. Gotcha. So, Louise, what about practical things? Like, I mean, each parent will know their daughter listening to this podcast and that in some situations, obviously, other people need to get involved to help with solving issues and they're not necessarily solving, but making life easier for people. What are some of the initial practical things that we can tell our girls to do and parents can tell their daughters to do? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing that I always feel is the most powerful, and I'm guessing both of you already do this, right? But for anyone listening who's unsure, right? If your son or daughter or child walks in the door and is dysregulated, just like we talked about, and is having difficulty even stringing a coherent sentence together, but is full of thoughts and worries and anxieties and problems, the that's emotional flooding, mm-hmm. right? That you're being faced with. Now, as a parent, as an adult, your job is to be an emotional sandbag. First and foremost. That's it. And that looks like massive amounts of empathy, mm-hmm. massive amounts of containing, wide, structured, solid containing. OK, that's it. The first step, that's it. You know, uh, presence is an action. Yeah. And when a young person is dysregulated, you're strong, coherent, silent often, actually, because it's just listening. Presence is very powerful. Sometimes it can be a hand on the back, but it is mostly letting them talk. Tell me everything. And if you're speaking, it's. That's really that must really suck. Mm. Yeah, that must really suck. So they have this sense of really being heard. Yes. 
I'm guilty of always going, what you should do is, and I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't. And that did come up with Joanna Fortune in our first podcast as well as The Power of Listening. It is like no other. What about telling them? What can we tell them to do? I I wouldn't even skip ahead there yet. Okay. Right. And this is, this is, I think this is where most people. Yeah. Go to. Most people want to fix it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most people want to fix it. Right. I have to stop myself being a fixer in certain situations. Right. Because actually what needs to happen is the expression of the emotion. Most of all. Mm -hmm. So if we go into fixer mode, now we're not listening anymore. If we go into fixer mode, we've missed the nuance, perhaps, of what they're trying to say. Mm. And sometimes what they're trying to say is not what they're actually saying. It's what's in between the lines. And one tip that I would suggest, right, which can be helpful because it gives you a framework, is when your young person is talking or telling you what's going on or telling you what they've been through or that they're dealing with right now, your job is to listen so intently that you can slap a headline on the end of it when they stop talking. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's twofold reasons for that. right? One is it demonstrates that you've listened enough that you can put a headline on it. But secondly, young people sense your intention. And so much of their inner world at this point is feeling precarious if they feel people have hidden agendas around them. Right. right? And a hidden agenda from a parent can look like I need to stop you feeling so anxious. This is making me anxious. I can't cope with this. Oh my God, is this going to blow up? What am I going to do? How am I going to tell you to fix it? Okay, now I'm thinking about what we can do next and how this, you've lost them. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you stop, bring it down. You're listening so intently that you can come up with a headline. The headline doesn't have to be like spot on. It can be wrong. It doesn't matter because they sense your intention. Right. Because you're you're all in. You're all in. And you're there. And when you reiterate it back. There can be quite a de-escalation in the moment. It can be a okay. It doesn't mean the problem's fixed, but this isn't about the problem. It's about equipping. It's about equipping and it's about nervous system regulation. Yeah. How can they learn to feel safe in their own bodies? Louise, can I just jump ahead and say, like, this is as parents is something that we should have an awareness, first and foremost, probably for ourselves and our own coping skills before we can impart such knowledge. Well, actually, I was just going to say when I was listening to Louise, I was thinking back on when my kids have been through a really hard time. And one of the things that I used to do, and I think it's just like a knee jerk reaction, Mm -hmm. is because you don't want them to be upset about a thing, you minimize the thing. Yeah. And I used to do that all the time and I feel so bad. Now Everyone's because guilty it had of that. The opposite impact to what I wanted. Whereas, you know, like one of the things my daughter will often say when she was being bullied, one of the most frustrating things that people used to say to her and probably us, her parents, was they're just jealous of you. Mm. Or, you know, if they're really anxious about something, it's not that big a deal. It's like calm down, mm-hmm. you know, like it's only this, mm-hmm. it's only that mm-hmm. because we just don't want it to be the big thing that we think that it is. Yeah. And that's where, like, I'm hearing what you're saying and I wish you had spoken to me six years ago but at the same time I think as parents we have a knee-jerk reaction and if we can catch that in the moment we can absolutely change that whole interaction and it's 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 like a habit right that we have to just work on yeah you're mm. spot on though but everyone does this yeah know? because you, you I mean not there's not a single parent I've spoken to who who wouldn't take every single burden or suffering off their kid yeah. And experience it themselves, yeah. right? So that their kid didn't have to suffer it. Louise, can we talk about, um, and I know Tammy wanted to bring this up too, 
panic attacks and I um, I used to have them uh, like not debilitating. They've thankfully stopped and I don't, I think sometimes I feel like I'm on the cusp of them and I'm like, have one for the crack, but like, no, <laughs> like I'm on the cusp of it. But I feel like I've got, the, I don't have the reason to have them in, in the sense anymore. And I know it's not a, a rational thing. But parents that are listening whose children do have them, even if they've just had them once, but it's a regular occurrence, in the moment, what can we do? Mm. Yeah. So you'd often hear focus on the breathing is something that you hear quite a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, because somebody's struggling to catch their breath in the first instance. And again, so much dysregulation, heart beating fast, sweating. And often you hear focus on the breath. But in actual fact, that might not be the best thing to do because okay. in some instances you can't catch it. And so if you only focus on your breath, you're focusing on the fact that Jesus Christ, I can't get it. Am I going to die? It's I can't worse. even control this. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're telling me that tell, telling somebody to relax doesn't actually help them relax. <laughs> yeah, calm down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but if you're with somebody or a young person who is experiencing a panic attack, Something that I find to be quite effective is grounding, first and foremost. So there, there's some little tricks like three, 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 notice three things in the room, touch three things. What are three things that you can feel? Yeah. Like or or smell or whatever senses it might be, right? Mm-hmm. which is good. Sometimes it, it's like complete eye contact mm-hmm. and I'm going to breathe with you. Actually, I'm going to steady you like a metronome. So I'm just going to breathe regularly while you're struggling to catch your breath mm-hmm. but if you sync with me and my eyes and my hands and you're grounded that can really be effective to, effective okay well. okay um at what stage louise do we suggest therapy and at what stage do we look into that is it a thing that when we suggest therapy that the child will go you think there's something wrong with me or do we model maybe therapy yourself how do we bring up therapy i think if you are witnessing a young person really have debilitating symptoms over not just weeks, but months even. And it's stopping them from hanging out with their friends. It's stopping them from going out in public, maybe even. It's stopping them from interacting with the family. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's changed their eating habits. Maybe they're losing weight. Any number of symptoms like that that you become worried about. If there's a significant shift in their personality, which can be difficult, right? Because that can happen anyway as a result of development. Yeah. Because they start to pull back. But as parents, you would ideally be able to spot that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if it seems like there's no apparent reason for it and it's a complete shutdown. One thing I do say is for the health of the family, right? Uh, Sometimes I, I do feel it's a good idea that the young person and the parents go together. Sometimes the young person on their own having another adult to talk to is an amazing idea. And I'm a big proponent of that too. Mm. The one good adult came out of Jigsaw, you know, and actually across the world, that is the single biggest predictor of healthy emotional development in a young person is Mm. that one good adult, which doesn't have to be a parent and quite often isn't, (laughs) right? Because it's somebody outside of the family unit that doesn't have to love them, quote Mm. unquote, Mm. but that really values and respects them. And that does something for their self-concept, right? So, you know, aside from that, having a young person with somebody who they can talk to in a therapeutic setting can be very valuable in those circumstances. 
But doing it with the family unit or the parents can also be really valuable. Mm-hmm. And why? Because we learn each other's preferences. We learn how to talk to each other. We learn how you're interpreting what I just said. You know, for example, your daughter would learn you only have the best intentions. Not that she doesn't know that anyway, but when you say, oh, it's not, don't worry, you can, it's fine, it's not that big a deal, Mm. that she learns what you really meant by that. Mm. And and your problem solved together. Yes, yeah. Mm. Exactly. But they also learn it's just not, it's not them. They're not this big, you know, glaring problem of a problem in the Mm. family. Yeah. I have to say, as a parent, when mine started going to therapy, it was a game changer for me Mm. because I'm not equipped to solve those issues for them yeah. in the same level as their therapist. And you're so close to it. And I'm so close yeah. to it and I'm so emotionally invested. But one of the best things for me was being able to say, maybe you should talk to, like we had an amazing therapist, still have. Maybe you should talk about that at your next appointment, which means I can just be your mom and love you and we Brilliant. can go to the cinema and I can give you hugs, but I don't have to diagnose and break down this problem that I don't even know how to solve. Mm-hmm. And you have another place and another person, exactly what you said, another person that, you know, and even for them, they don't need to be afraid of hurting my feelings through the process, you know, because yeah. as you said, this person doesn't need to love them in the same way. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it feels impartial. Therefore yeah. It feels way more real. Yeah, you know? sure. And maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> You're not at all. Sometimes. No, no I mean, that was that was that was brilliant. I loved what you just said there. Mm-hmm. I can be your mother. Yeah, I exactly. Can be here when you come home. My arms are wide open for you when you need it. Yeah. But I can't always be the problem solver for you. Mm. You know, and sometimes it's right that you're not. Yeah. Last question for yes. me. No, no, go. Honestly, I'm hijacking this whole podcast. No. This is, uh, this is you know, I'm thinking back to the things that I used to struggle with. And one of them was when school is the problem. Mm. If you're being bullied, maybe they're neurodivergent, maybe they just don't fit in for mm. whatever reason. I remember struggling with them begging me to leave them out of school mm. and me growing up in a generation where you go to school no matter what. And at what stage do you trust them to be like, do you know what, the best thing for you right now is to not go to school. Mm. Sometimes for us, it was like for weeks at a time. Mm. And how do I know what their instincts are around that and how do I make that decision? Did you have a sense of what was going on at the time? I 100% had a sense and I knew exactly what school was doing to her. I watched it systematically break her down over years. And but yet in what way? Well, she was being bullied. She has dyslexia. She I I saw her. I always describe it as I would see her put an armor on every morning to Mm. go in. She went through a phase of having panic attacks every day where we would have to build up to one class and we would Mm. have to be there to pick her up after Mm. one class. Eventually we got to break time and then there was the whole break time thing. Mm. And then like it took us nearly a year to and Mm. with therapy to get her back to a full day. So it was quite debilitating. Mm. And we still have our jobs and things like that that we have to do and our other stuff we have to get on with. But we just worked so, so hard. Um, as her parents and you know as I said we have the best of intentions for her but we just didn't have the answers like am I putting her into a situation that is not good for her and am I at at a pivotal time in her life and how do I know how to react in that situation and I imagine a lot of people listening have been faced with that or you know or could be in the next little while Mm. so what age was she at the time Uh, went on from about 14 to literally 6th year Wow. Okay. 
you know, there's obviously there's different differing levels of severity with the experience of what's going on. There's also different levels of resources within each young person as mm. to how they cope with that and how it impacts them too. So again, it's quite different in every scenario. But, you know, I, I, firstly, again, when a young person is 13 up, it's not about ever solving a problem for them. It can't be, actually. It needs to be with them. Mm-hmm. They need to have a part in that. And there's something about bringing them in to the fold in that respect, mm-hmm. with respect, actually, that allows them to step a little bit outside, actually, just how they feel and becomes more about, OK, what's what do I need? And start starts to support them or help them or facilitate them to start thinking for themselves in that respect. When we don't necessarily do that because we're upset and feel like we do need to fix something that is quite as severe as that. Sometimes when we not collude as such, but when the distress becomes so huge like that, they also now see this as a adult problem as yeah. well as a 14 year old problem. Mm. And it's a big deal. And if there's, I guess, no actual input from the school, right, so that there's a plan or an acknowledgement of what's going on from them, so that there's a pathway into care and support should A, B or C happen. Mm-hmm. It, it's the pathway. It's the what's going to happen differently. How are we going to make this better? Mm-hmm. What has to change to make this better? What would it look like? Let's Let's figure it out, right? And let's see what we can do about that. So is it a case that each individual case is you make your assessment, you decide in your case, you did have times where she didn't go to school, mm. but you acknowledge that it's not sustainable to not be right. going. Yes. And, and and that sounds right to me, right? What you did. There's a certain level of, well, look, it's two things, right? There's validation of what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Not a ifs or buts, just this is, this is, this sounds really, really hard. Mm. This must be crushing you. You know, so there's that first. So that's the validation. And then there's the boundary setting. You know, you will have to be at school. You're going to have to go through school. But let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're holding this boundary, but with compassion and empathy mm-hmm. and your hand on their back. And it's a process and none of it is overnight. But, you know, if there's certain things like bullying happen- happening, then there's very categorical things that needed to change or shift. Mm. And you choosing to keep her home because she was having panic attacks about going to school. You're not wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. You know, but, but until that environment changes, coupled with the ability to develop her own sense of trust in herself and her own ability to cope, it's both. Mm. It can't be just one. Mm-hmm. It has to be both. Now, obviously, we can't always control what the school does or what the environment is. Mm-hmm. So always we can try and work on ourselves and our ability to regulate and cope with whatever it is that's causing us to be in this position. It should just be part of school as well, that we like it's all part of the curriculum and that we learn how to do like we children and adults get these coping yeah, skills as but, well. But, OK, let me just add this on, right? Because so, one of the biggest problems here is not the panic itself, right? It's not the anxiety itself. It's the anxiety about the anxiety. Yes. It's the fact that I've had a panic attack once. I've had a really bad day once. Now I'm really anxious and scared. Projecting is going to happen again. Yeah. Now this this is the, I call it the dirty emotion. That's the dirty emotion. The pure emotion is I'm having a really shit time at school. 
Mm-hmm. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate what's going on right now. That's pure. Mm-hmm. But then there's maybe a panic attack or an anxiety attack or it devolves into tears or there's a little consternation about it or maybe they don't feel heard in some respects at school with their friends, wherever it might be. Now it becomes the fear of doing that again, mm-hmm. being embarrassed about that. And now there's a shame element in that. So there's so many emotions around. piled on top of it that are actually the problem. And this is the root. This is the root up here. These emotions, these dirty emotions are the root, not the pure ones. Mm-hmm. So if we can stay present yeah. with young people so they can fully experience the pure emotions, mm-hmm. express those pure emotions and then learn the coping skills for how to deal with them. Because it yeah, is inevitable that people will have moments of anxiousness in their lives. Absolutely. Um, you were right in that this could be a very long episode, Demi. <laughs> if people want to find you, Louise, where do they go? Um, what well, my Instagram is up and running. I uh, Prism Therapy Online is obviously the therapy platform that we created with a number of therapists, but you can probably get me on Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. Louise, that was a pleasure and it was really insightful, wasn't it? And we, of course, Tammy, are always inviting topics. And if people want to get in touch with us, you've set up an email. Yeah, it's podcast at shona.ie and I can guarantee you we haven't checked with Louise yet, but we will be having her back. Yes. Sure. Let's just ask her right now. <laughs> we'll have lots of questions. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you guys for listening to the Shona Project podcast and the Shona Project. You can find us online and you can listen to us, obviously, on Go Loud or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back with another episode soon. Bye. Perfect. <laughs>